good morning on this uh, cold winter day. Um, we are, I'm here with Wes and my two boys, to, and the rest of it is empty, so this will be different again. Um, but we're going to open the word today to uh, Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, uh, and we are going to start in verse 22. Uh, but before I do that, let me, let me pray for you uh, while you're there together with your family. Um, Lord, uh, though we are apart in, in body, we know that uh, we are together in spirit. Um, you have united us to Christ and to one another by one spirit, and uh, we, we share in the blessings of, of your new covenant together. Um, we pray that one of those blessings, which is that everyone would be taught of God, um, that that would happen now, that we would all be taught of God as we, as we come to your word and look at it and see what it says, and uh, that this would then lead to a new obedience and confidence that you will be with us until we finish this race. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse 22 is where we're going to begin. But first, um, a number of you enjoy Lord of the Rings, and there's a scene in the fellowship of the ring. Uh, Boromir attempts to, to steal the ring from Frodo, and Frodo escapes, but soon finds himself flat on his back after a frightening vision of Sauron. And Aragorn approaches, and thinking that he too might steal uh, the ring, Frodo starts uh, to run. And then Aragorn reminds him, you know, I swore to protect you. And Frodo asks, can you protect me from yourself? Well, Aragorn then approaches Frodo while the, while the ring is, is whispering his name. And with both hands, Aragorn closes uh, Frodo's hand over the ring and he pushes it away, saying, I would have gone with you to the end, into the very fires of Mordor. Now, I tell that story because last week I stopped short of finishing Hebrews and Trey sent to all the care group leaders a meme of Aragorn saying, I would have gone with you to the end. I mean, we were right there. Well, this morning, Trey, we are going to the end, though it's far better than the fires of Mordor. Hebrews ends on the note of grace, and that's where we'll finish today as well. But with verse 22, we encounter some final greetings, and there's a tendency, at least 
at least sometimes, for people to skim these, these endings. Instead of meditating on these words, we want to kind of blast through them. We, we think, hey, we, we've gotten all the good stuff already. Uh, how could a few little final greetings really make all that much of a difference in our, in our lives? But there are a number of reasons not to skim them. For starters, these two are the holy inspired words of God, and they ought to be treasured as equally as the other parts of of Scripture. Through them, God speaks to us as well. Also, final greetings, uh, they include historical details a lot of times um, that help us kind of piece together the context in which these New Testament letters were written, and that's especially true when you take these, uh, these letters and read them along uh, these endings of the letters and read them alongside the book of Acts. They kind of help you put things in order and kind of give you a feel for what was going on in the church at that time. Final greetings also provide a, a window through which we see God's mission actually playing out through the lives of his people. Okay, we see these reports of saints moving from one city to the next and special care needing distribution among, among the poor or, or Christians risking their necks for, for this or that uh, leader and strategy for, for, uh, for mission you know, gets, gets reported and urgent requests for prayer uh, that the word would speed ahead and, and, and so on. Uh, today... I want to narrow the focus to, to four ways that this particular greeting uh, can impact our, our lives. And one is built on the imperative to bear with this word of exhortation. And the other three come from how these words relate to the rest of, of, of Hebrews and, and then the broader mission of, of our Lord. But before going there, however, uh, let's read... God's word in verses 22 to 25. Uh, He says, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Okay, so four ways. Let's look at four ways uh, these final greetings can impact our lives. Number one, there is a Savior who changes us. There is a Savior who changes us. Verses 22 to 25 remind us that our fundamentally, fundamental identity changes when we're united to Jesus. Notice what he calls the, the recipients in verse 22. He says, I appeal to you, brothers. And in this context, it's probably legitimate to, to translate that brothers and sisters. So I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. Once they were separated from God's family... Now they're called brothers and sisters. How did that happen? Well, let's go back to chapter 2, verse 10 of Hebrews. Chapter 2, verse 10. Which says this. 
For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory. You'll notice some, some, familiar, some, some family-type language throughout this. So he's going to bring many sons to glory. He should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That's why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So that's, there's a lot contained there, but, but basically God gives his son a family, spiritual children, brothers and sisters, and the son willingly identifies with them. He endures sufferings for them. Uh, he obeys perfectly in the face of those sufferings, and that qualifies him to then represent them. He delivers them from Satan's power, and he removes God's wrath from them. That's what the word propitiation uh, means. So, that, all, all that, is how we became brothers and sisters. Okay, we're united, Jesus unites us to God in one household. And Jesus' work is so complete that Jesus himself isn't ashamed to call these people brothers and sisters. And you know what? Neither is the writer of Hebrews. By calling them brothers, he recognizes that Jesus powerfully changed them. He recognizes that he belongs to them. And they belong to him in one family. In Christ, they are now family. In Christ, they have a new identity and a future hope and glory together. The same uh, goes with the other title he gives them in, in verse 24. Uh, look, look at verse 24 where it says, greet all of, your, all of your leaders and all the saints or holy ones, right? Saints or holy ones. Once they were unholy, unclean, sin kept them from entering the holy places with God, but now they're called saints. How did that happen? Well, again, let's review in chapter 10, verse 10. Uh, chapter 10, verse 10 says, And every, I'm sorry, and by that will, it says, We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And he's going to tell you a little bit more about that in verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, 
waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Uh, We saw this uh, the other day in chapter 13, uh, verse... verse, uh, Chapter 13, verse um, 12, it says, Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. So Jesus changes unholy people who cannot access God. He changes them into holy people who have unhindered access to God. By calling them saints, the writer of Hebrews recognizes that Jesus has changed them. Jesus made them new. He made them holy ones. Now that's important because he's about to charge them to bear with his word of exhortation. But notice his command builds on the fact that they already belong to Jesus. Okay, they're not obeying in order to get right with Jesus, in order to become children. God has already made them children. God is already at work in them to, to, to make them holy um, and to, to bring them to glory. So if you belong to Jesus, God is already at work in you too. You're already sons and, and daughters. Obedience is now a matter of learning to become what you are. Obedience is now a matter of learning, learning to hear your father's voice and learning how to live in his family. In Christ, you have a new identity. You, you are a new person, and you also have a new hope. You, you're, you're on a trajectory toward glory. And so, we need to remember who we are. We need to know who we are, who God has made us to be. As sons, daughters, as saints. It's also important because we should recognize each other uh, like this. Brothers, sisters, saints. Christ is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Christ is not ashamed to call us saints or holy ones. Even when Christians get it wrong in the New Testament. Never once do the apostles wince at calling the people brothers or saints. I mean, just read Corinthians sometimes. You know, there's divisions and, 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 and people suing each other in, in, in public courts and uh, all kinds of pride in their use of, of, of the gifts and people asserting their rights instead of laying them down to serve the, their, their brothers or sisters. I don't think I would have been very quick to start Corinthians with to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. And yet, that's exactly where Paul begins. Yes, there are occasions when someone who professes to be a brother proves not to be a brother by a pattern of unrepentance. But until that pattern becomes evident, we refer to one another as brothers and sisters, as holy ones. We we view each other this way. We, We view each other as family. We eat at the same table together. So let's treat one another as Christ himself identifies us. Just like this writer shows, shows this loving, earnest concern for his family members, we ought to, we ought to share the same sentiment toward, toward one another. 
The next observation is this. There is a word to endure. There is a word to endure here or, or bear with. Right? The main imperative says in, in verse 22, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Now, by word of exhortation, he's talking about the whole letter. Um, it, it takes about 45 minutes to, to read out loud. I mean, he, he could have gone longer. Um, several places indicate that he wanted to say more, like chapter 9, verse 5, where he's describing the tabernacle, and, and he says, you know, of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Uh, or chapter 11, verse 32, he's, he's just listing one example of, of faith after the other, and, and he says, for time would fail, fail me to, to tell, to tell of, of Gideon and Barak, and, and he goes on with a few other names. So, so he, he actually stays briefer than he'd like to be, uh, perhaps he's going to explain more when he gets there in person. Uh, but this, this brevity doesn't mean he sacrificed depth. And uh, it doesn't mean he, he uh, pulled any punches either. So I'd like to see if, if I can summarize his word of exhortation. Um, and I'm, I'm going to do it in three, three headings uh, to try to try to kind of, kind of, kind of grasp the, the full message of Hebrews here. One of the main concerns in Hebrews is to reveal the greatness of Jesus in his new covenant. It's to reveal the greatness of Jesus in his new covenant. Hebrews develops how Christ is, is greater than the angels, and he's greater than Adam, and he's greater than Moses in chapter th- 3, right? We've got, we got angels. He's greater than angels in chapter 1, greater than uh, Adam in chapter 2 there, greater than Moses in chapter 3. Uh, he's greater than Joshua uh, in chapter 4. He's greater than the high, than the high priest in chapters uh, 5 to 10, right? He offers the greater sacrifice. His death actually forgives sins. He opens the way for us into the true holy places. We can approach God's throne without fear now. Jesus also inaugurates a greater covenant, which we see in chapter 8, and again at the end of chapter, chapter 10, he inaugurates an eternal covenant. And through that covenant, we've come to a greater mountain, Mount Zion. Remember in, in chapter 12? No longer do we hear the thunderclap of the law's condemnation. We, we actually hear the music of the New Jerusalem's festivities. By resurrection, Jesus is also the great shepherd of the sheep in chapter uh, 13. And he's leading all his people home to glory. There's no one else like him. Even the old covenant expected his day. God's son would turn the shadows of the old covenant into substance. The, the, The promises of the good things to come, he would make them all real. Now, if that's true, Hebrews, then the second thing Hebrews does is he warns against the dangers of falling away from Jesus. He warns against the dangers of falling away from Jesus. Some of them are drifting into sin. Some of them are growing dull of hearing God's word. Uh, Some of them are are reverting back to the old covenant system. But to abandon Jesus like this, to pretend that that his work didn't change anything, didn't matter all that much, is to forfeit the blessings of his new covenant. We shall not escape, he says, if we neglect such a great salvation. Chapter 2, verses 
1 and 3. Take care, brothers, lest, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Chapter 3, verse 13. Or chapter 10, verse 26 and 27, where he says, If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. So so he's telling them, watch out, right? Don't abandon Jesus. Don't don't be deceived and, and turn away from him. And by doing so, God is using these warnings to, to keep his saints persevering. He's, he's using these warnings to keep, to keep their, their necks snapped forward, looking to the, to the final prize of following Jesus. Alongside these warnings, though, come many promises. And so if, if these warnings are kind of keeping their head forward on the prize, the, the promises are, are pulling them toward the end. So, so the third thing Hebrews does is it reinforces our hope to keep us faithful to Jesus. Okay, so for, for those who truly belong to Jesus, he gives us every good thing to do his will. We saw that last week. Because Jesus himself suffered when tempted, he's able to help you who are being tempted. Jesus is a great high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. And through him, you can approach God's throne to find grace in time of need. Many trials will come, but the Father has good designs in them. This was chapter 12, remember? As discipline, they train you to to share in God's holiness. The more you become like your Father, the more you give yourself to things like His peace. The more you give yourself to things like righteous living and brotherly love and generosity toward others and Christ-like sacrifice. God's unchangeable character also means that his new creation word will come true. Jesus has already gone as a forerunner even on our behalf. He is the sure and steadfast anchor of our soul. Not only did he die to remove God's wrath, he rose to ensure that all of his people would enter God's rest and receive that unshakable kingdom. And so therefore, in the face of of the chaotic and broken world, The writer of Hebrews is telling us to look to Jesus who is crowned with glory and honor. That's the basic message of Hebrews. Jesus is greater than everything, so don't abandon him, but follow him until he brings you into God's rest. What does it mean then to bear with that word of exhortation? Well, at a minimum it means, you know, that you receive receive it as the truth. You're acknowledging that you're taking God at his word, that, that this, this is what's true. Um, but there's a little more to it than that. Um, after receiving it as truth, it includes letting those words have their appropriate effect in you. So let me show you what I mean. Um, there's one other place where this word appears in a similar context. So this is 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, verses 2 and 3, Paul says this to Timothy, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure, there's the word, people will not bear with sound teaching, 
But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So what we're seeing here in in 2 Timothy is that sound teaching includes uh, the explanation of God's word and with it the rebukes and the reproofs and the and the exhortations that are in God's word. You, you, are, you are giving those to the people, right? And, and uh, to bear with that word means you don't keep following your passions. You, you don't start accumulating teachers in accordance with your passions. You know, having these itching ears and just chasing after what, what you want to hear, what you want to be told, what makes you comfortable, to, to bear with that word means you forsake those passions and you respond to the reproof and the rebuke of Scripture with humility. They change you. They, they lead you to, to repent. The exhortations give you courage to keep obeying God. Okay? To, to bear with this, this word of exhortation isn't just to tolerate it. It's, just, it's to let it so much become a part of you that, that you're moved to obedience. You're compelled to follow Christ in all, in all ways. You, 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 you read it, you open it up, you open it up and you read it and you, and you let it scrutinize you and you let it have its way with you. I mean, the writer of Hebrews said some hard things too. Remember chapter 5 where he's, he's about to tell them about Melchizedek and he says, you know, we have much to say about Melchizedek. It's hard to explain though since you've become dull of hearing. And he says, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You still need someone to teach you the basic principles of the oracles of God. Or in chapter 10, where he says, don't neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some. Or in your struggle against sin, you haven't yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Endure hardship for discipline. Jesus said hard things like that too. But what distinguished his disciples, his true disciples, from from the rest of the world is the choice to actually bear with his words. So think about the Canaanite woman in in Matthew 15. She kneels before Jesus. She's telling him, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Lord, help me. And and Jesus' response to her He says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. This is in the context of him going to the lost sheep of the house of Israel with his disciples. So he's talking about it's not right to take the blessings that belong to them, to Israel, and throw it to the dogs like the Gentiles. And nevertheless, she bears with his word and she says, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. What a response. She knows who the blessings belong to. She knows she doesn't deserve them, but, oh, she could only have some crumbs. And Jesus says, O woman, great is your faith. Or take the disciples in John 6. Jesus says, you know, unless, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And the disciples say, this is a, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? 
And Jesus responds, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? No one can come to me unless it's granted to him by the Father. Another hard word. A hard word followed by a hard word. And the text says, after this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with Jesus. So they proved to be false disciples. They didn't bear with his word. And so Jesus says to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Peter answers, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So it's like hard word, hard word. Some leave, but the true disciples stay. You have the words of eternal life. True disciples bear with Jesus' words. Of course, you, know, you also get examples of other examples like the rich young ruler who didn't bear with Jesus' words. Jesus says, sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And the man walked away sorrowful, didn't he? See, he chose not to bear with Jesus' words. He loved his possessions too much. Today is, is the 35th sermon in Hebrews. But I still must ask myself, am I bearing with his word of exhortation? That, that's over 700 hours of study for me. That's... that's uh, Almost 29 hours for you, I think it's 29 and a half hours for you listening to sermons from Hebrews. But we have to ask ourselves, okay, now that we've heard it, are we bearing with it? Right? Has it become so much a part of me? Has it become so much a part of us that it's moving us to obedience in the things it's calling us to? Are you heeding its warnings? And soberly reflecting on the disastrous consequences of sin? Are you finding nourishment from, from Jesus' priesthood and, and looking to him as you run the race? How have the words in chapter 13 alone moved you to act? Brotherly love, showing hospitality, remembering the persecuted, honoring marriage being content with what you have, obeying your leaders, doing good to others? Or what about the various places that he says, you know, Jesus is a great high priest. Let us, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. Have you, have you been drawing near to the throne of grace? Or uh, where he says, God is faithful, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Are you, are you holding fast to that confession of your hope? So what, what he's basically saying here when he says, bear with my word of exhortation, he's saying, let, let's receive it with patience. Let's let these words, of, uh, m- let's let these words move us to to endurance in what is right. Receive his words about Jesus and the new covenant and and let them give, give you courage and hope to continue persevering to the very end. It's in these words that God has spoken to us by a son. Now, third observation from his, from this final greeting, there is a mission beyond us. There is a mission beyond us. Uh, 
the mission of God certainly includes us, but it, but it reaches well beyond us. Look at verse 23 and 24. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Notice how discipleship continues in the face of persecution. Right? Presumably, Timothy was in jail for the gospel. Uh, he has just been released, but it, it, doesn't, it doesn't stop him or the writer of Hebrews from continuing the work. Prison doesn't stop them from visiting uh, these believers and, and from making sure that they're going to stick with Jesus the whole way. But, but notice, too, where some of the greetings come from. It says that it says, those who come from Italy send you greetings. We've got Christians in Italy. So it's not clear if the writer of Hebrews is in Italy himself or if he's somewhere else and ran into some other Christians from Italy. But the point remains the same. We've got believers in Italy. Okay? Remember the, remember the beginning of the book of Acts? How it starts? That he tells the disciples that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the believers in Italy, this is why I'm telling you to pay attention to the final greetings in these letters. These believers in Italy is evidence that the mission of Jesus was marching on. Okay? A group of Italian Christians send greetings back to a group of Jewish Christians. This mission of God advances to the nations, just as the Scripture said it would, beyond the Jews to all nations. The mission continues to advance well beyond this, this church that he's writing to, in other words. I think greetings like this one help us remember that, that this letter has a framework in missions. God is on a mission to see a living testimony of his kingdom among all peoples. The theology and exhortations of, of, in Hebrews that, that belong to God's mission, right? This, this rich new covenant that we've been, that we've been talking about. Uh, Jesus' priesthood and what he's done on the cross for us and, and, and on and on we could go. All of that theology, it will please God when you realize and set it within the context of God's worldwide mission, right? Theology that pleases God always functions in the context of his global mission, and the ending of Hebrews reminds us that, that we need to live there, okay? Sometimes a church or a denomination can, be, can become so inwardly focused, whether on their own problems or on their own successes, that they lose sight of what God is doing beyond them. They lose sight of the bigger kingdom picture, there are many reasons uh, I'm glad to receive email updates from our own missionaries, but one of them is that they help us remember God's global missions. Right? They, they, they help lift our eyes to see that the fields are indeed white for harvest. They help us see that God is saving people near and far. They help us see that we're not the only ones sending missionaries and planting churches and spreading the gospel and 
developing theology schools. God's work is happening on every continent. More recently, scholars like Andrew Walls and Philip Jenkins observe that the the epicenter of Christianity has actually subtly moved from the northern hemisphere to the southern hemisphere. One of the most pronounced examples being the growth of the church in sub-Saharan Africa. We hear these reports, uh, and it it ought to, to cause much rejoicing and support and prayer. We may feel small as a, as a congregation, but, but we're, we're but one local expression of Christ's worldwide mission that will not cease to advance. One more observation. There is grace to finish well. There is grace to finish well. The letter ends with these words, grace be with all of you. What is Grace. What's the grace he has in mind? Well, some some have defined grace as God's unmerited favor. Okay, it's not something you can work for. God gives it freely. But Hebrews has helped sharpen how how we should understand grace even even further. It's helped us get even more specific about, about grace. The grace in view is God's free and extravagant generosity in Jesus Christ, toward undeserving sinners. It's God's free and extravagant generosity in Christ toward undeserving sinners. Nothing in us, nothing about us, nothing we did moved the Lord to save us. The only thing we merited was judgment for rejecting God's law. Okay, that's... That's what we've been talking about a while back, that the, that the shadows of the Old Covenant, they were, they were pointing backwards, right, to the, the separation when Adam and Eve were removed from the garden because of their sin. We, we see under the law the same types of things. So the law is pointing backwards uh, and saying the reason we can't approach God freely is because of sin. And we see that in the temple system and the sacrifices but it's also pointing forward, saying that somebody's going to come, Jesus Christ, to solve that, that, that issue, to, to bring us back to God so that we're reconciled to him and we have free access to him, to him once, once again. So, so the only thing we merited, that sin merits, is separation from God, uh, receiving judgment from God. But God chose to act for us in his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, chapter 2, verse 9 of Hebrews says that by the grace of God, by the grace of God, Jesus tasted death for everyone. And it wasn't just any death, but a death that reconciles us to God. In Hebrews, Jesus' blood removes God's wrath. It cleanses us from our sin. It purifies our guilty conscience. Also, because Jesus rose from the dead, we have, a, uh, uh, we have grace for the future too. Right? Chapter 4, verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the writer of Hebrews now prays that such grace would be with them. Okay? For every future day there will be more grace for God's people. As long as, they, as long as they stick with Jesus, there will be grace every day that strengthens the heart. 
Grace to help them run the race. Grace for every task the Lord calls us to. He will give grace for every trial that we face. Every tough job that you encounter at work, God will supply you with the grace to do it well and do it with excellence and do it unto the Lord. He will give grace to endure an angry boss who's hypercritical and never thankful. Every grace necessary to raise children and to endure their tantrums. And every grace to pursue peace with others in the church. And every grace to mature in Christ-likeness. And every grace to resist temptation and to endure persecution. The Lord will come through for you, is what he's saying. You can count on the Lord's grace when you go home today. And when you go to work tomorrow. Or to class. Or to the hospital for that next operation. His grace will be there for you when when you're trying to live out the demands of of this letter and you you find it challenging to keep obeying. His grace will be there for you when you go to that next funeral or when you're preparing for your own. The point is that grace is not just a past experience. Grace is your future confidence every day. For those in Christ, the Lord is inexhaustible grace. That's what he means by grace be with you. You all. He's he's confident that grace didn't just come to them in Christ. Grace will also go with them in Christ. I think John Newton got it right, didn't he? In the third stanza of his famous hymn, Amazing Grace. When he says, through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me thus, has brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. I don't know exactly what challenges or sorrows that you're facing uh, right now. Maybe you're wanting further clarity for your family's future. Uh, Maybe you're waiting on borders to open so that you can return to your mission work. Maybe you're researching what it looks like to become foster parents or, or, or to adopt Maybe things are are so dark for you right now that you don't know what the next steps are going to be. The writer of Hebrews gives us a lot of confidence here at the end of his letter. The Lord's grace will be with you. Your life is part of a storyline of grace. It had a beginning before you were even born. Even before the foundation of the world, God chose you. In Christ, Ephesians tells us. It's being worked out in the present as God made you his son or his daughter. And his grace also looks forward to ensure that you have every good thing that you need to reach the finish line. Beloved, what his grace began, God's grace will also complete in you. So let's give thanks for that grace now. Father, I thank you for your grace. Uh, It is wonderful. It is inexhaustible. It is something that will take an eternity to know and celebrate. We thank you for all that you've lavished, all of it that you've lavished upon us in Jesus Christ. I pray for this church body that you would. 
help them every day, no matter what they're facing. You would help them endure to the very end. That you would help them see the glories and greatness of Jesus. That even though we've finished Hebrews, the, the, the greatness of Jesus would linger and be their constant meditation and delight. I pray that you would help us heed the warnings. That we might not ever abandon him and entertain other things besides him. For salvation. I ask that you would also make his promises precious to us every morning, that they may become our source of hope and confidence so that we never give up. And Father, be glorified in our lives, in all we commit ourselves to, as your sons and daughters as your holy ones. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.